podcast that brings you the latest in sustainability, responsible investing and climate change. In this episode, we give you our ninth and last episode of season two. It has been a long journey, but we've made it and we have you to thank you for your continuous support. In this episode, Vis and I sit down with the co-founders of Inam, Arj and Ali, who are passionate about making impact and driving that vision with Inam. Inam is an impact investing app that is changing the way you invest by creating custom portfolios of listed impact stocks. The themes include renewable energy, sustainable fashion, ethical consumption, sustainable agriculture, health and well-being, and waste management. Wait, there's more. You can track your impact dollar for dollar, CO2 emissions can be prevented, Animals can be protected, trees can be planted, and renewable energy can be generated, all in one app. It's a really great episode, and both Arj and Ali have some incredibly insightful stories to share that I hope will resonate with you. Here's episode 9 of season 2 with Arj and Ali. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Greenfluence podcast. So now today we've got some very special guests. We have Ali and Arj from from Inam. And Inam is all about how we can use money to make the world a better place. They are an impact investing app and we're so keen to hear a lot more about them and their journeys and the amazing work Inam's doing. So welcome Arj and Ali. Hey guys, thank Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for having us. Really excited to be here. All good. It's an honor to have you on a Sunday morning. So I know you guys have a lot of busy things to do. So really appreciate you making the time. Uh, all good. This is this is when we can really get the story out there, which we believe in. So glad. Thank Perfect. you for the time on a Sunday as well. No worries. Our pleasure. So I want to start with like this whole idea of impact. I hear it all over the news. It's everywhere, and um, it's something that a lot of companies are focusing on as as well as making a profit. And impact investing has actually taken off. We actually had someone on the Greenfluence podcast who also um did an impact investing app, and her name's Camille, and yes. and and her app is Bloom, and she's really awesome. We, so Bloom what does Camille. they're they're a great business as well. Yeah, they are. They are. They're doing great stuff. So I wanted to ask, what does impact mean for the both of you? And have there been any personal experiences with which have shaped your understanding of what impact is? You go first. You go first. Okay. I think impact for us, there's a very thin line between you know, what people refer to as ESG or ethical sustainability and, and governance um, and impact so there's very thin line and impact really takes things to the next level whereas esg really looks at a framework or a checklist of you know hey we don't employ children we don't make weapons of mass destruction and uh, we don't have slaves working for us like the bar is set below ground zero Um, impact investing really looks at saying okay what are we actually doing to make the world a better place Um, and that goes transcends all of these little um, greenwashed checklist to say, are we actually benefiting the planet? Are we helping people from disadvantaged backgrounds get the jobs they need to get? Are we helping, you know, carbon emissions being prevented from being released throughout an entire supply chain? Um, I think the the best example I can give um, is Tesla, uh, which is a great company. Everyone thinks phenomenal business, you know, helping re- prevent carbon emissions, but if you look at the biz, at the end-to-end supply chain, um, the chassis is still made of steel. Um, you know, the interior is still leather, which comes from animals. Uh, the chips within are cobalt and um, nickel. So you really got to look at is where is that impact portion other than um, the lithium-ion battery that's in the vehicle. Um, that's kind of my quick take on impact and greenwashing and and ESG, like why impact is so important. Um, 
in terms of, I'll wrap it up, but in terms of personal experiences, uh, my background is from South Africa. Um, I was born in India, but raised in South Africa. And that's really where my passion for impact came from. Witnessing how a third world country and a first world society lived as a cohabitat made me realize that when you come from a position of a little bit more privilege, your responsibility is not to exercise that privilege. Your responsibility is to make sure everyone else has equal access to that privilege. And that really set me on the path to getting young people to empower themselves and also those around them, which was what impact meant to me, which sharing what you have so that others can get on the same level playing field. So, yeah. Thank you for stealing my answer. <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm, I'm known for doing this. Well, it's similar to me. I'm from Indonesia. So coming to like moving to Australia and America previously is the differences are like very different. The differences are very different. It's like very contrasting. And so it's, I just, it doesn't sit right with me when we don't try and change that. Yeah, amazing. And um, I think, Arj, you made a very interesting point about impact washing and Tesla because I actually saw that on one of your LinkedIn posts and I actually made a post about that as well. And it's like a lot of people would be thinking like, okay, like how is like this, how is this amazing company like Tesla who does so many things in renewables and has such a powerful figure, like how, how would they be removed from the S&P ratings? But it just goes to show that impact is beyond just environmental and looks into far more other things and yeah i wanted to thank you guys for sharing your experiences um i want to i want to look towards your backgrounds as well um so ali you come from more of a creative background in marketing and design and arj you seem like a bit of a numbers guy investment banking finance is right up your alley so um and but then now you guys are together in an arm so i want to i want to get a bit of insight on the learnings in your career journey and how you ended up here yeah, I mean, it's really great that we don't have kind of a similar background because we kind of complement our each other's skill set. Um, what I can't do, Arj can, and what he can, I can. So that has been really great for Inam and the way we work as well. And we also found out that we kind of share a brain. Yes, which is great um, in these situations because before something needs to be done, like one of us will have a thought we will look at each other and go, oh, yeah, I know that. We need to do that. <laughs> so it's it's very kind of cohesive in, in how it functions, which is great. So we're very grateful for each other in that respect. Um, don't know where we'd get without each other in this. Because if you looked at the brand that I had made, <laughs> the logo, the colors I'd used, you probably wouldn't be having this conversation with me. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry for that yeah, yeah. answer, but yeah, yeah. the short answer is that differences are great. Yeah. That's my biggest learning. Awesome. I love that. Um, I think going back to just a bit more about your both of your journeys, I was just looking at your journey and, you know, you, you've just touched on recently that it all started from South Africa, right? Um, that's where it all started, but you you had this um, uh, want and passion for entrepreneurship and trying to help underprivileged communities from a young age. This was since high school, but it, it wasn't until, you know, I, I suppose when your father passed away and you had to take care of your family and, and be there financially, that was, you know, sort of the changing point. So, can you tell us a bit more about that journey? Of course, yeah. Um, thanks for asking. And I, I'm really happy to, to share that because I think um, a lot of individuals have gone through similar stories. We all have similar life experiences, but very few of us really talk about them. And talking about them makes us realize that we're not alone and that we can ask others for help. Um, so that's right. South Africa is really where my passion for impact came from. I spent a lot of my time outside of my academic and professional commitments, working with underprivileged communities and helping shift the dialogue away with incredible organizations such as Africa Tikkun, that you don't need a gun to survive, you need a book. And that kind of put me on the path to a bunch of interesting things. Um, I helped launch right. an edtech startup that was founded by two ex-Yale grads wow. um, that helped people that wanted to get in Ivy League schools with the mentorship, peer mentoring that they needed. 
from people who've been there and done that. Then launched my own alternative asset cryptocurrency fund. Um, I was crazy. I just wanted to try and understand <laughs> technology. This was back in 2014 with a, with a close friend of mine. Um, and we did really well, but then, you know, Tulip bulb phenomenon started happening. So we're like, okay, let's, we quadrupled our investor money in six months, but then we're like, let's liquidate the fund and observe the market to learn about it. And then as yeah. you rightly said, uh, my father, passed away in my final year of undergrad um, and I had to stop doing all these crazy things. Um, I need to take care of my mom, pull up my socks and you know get a proper job. So I went into management consulting with a BPO and then by the end of that year, um, kind of had to move back to India in 2017 to take care of my mom and her health. So in terms of that journey and, and what I learned from it, my father was one of South Africa's most successful entrepreneurs. And unfortunately, he wasn't very well educated on how and where to make his investments. So he ended up making a very poorly disclosed investment that ended up costing him his entire life savings. And this was in the wow. millions. Yeah. Um, and five years later, ended up costing him his life. So really not knowing how and where to invest cost us everything. And that's when that seed was planted in terms of me wanting to work towards learning about the financial industry, about investment banking and about the world to better understand how we can bring the learnings from what appeared to be a more sophisticated world to the other side so that no family would ever have to go through something like this ever again. And that's really where Inam's kind of origin story, if you were, um, comes from um, that we've been working towards. I'm grateful that we're able to deliver on that vision and actually bring an arm to the world um, today. So, yeah, that's my... Really proud That's so inspirational. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, and just reflecting on that, I think it's it's something that we're all very passionate about in Greenfluence. Do you agree, Viz? Just as a, as a team, just... Yeah not just looking at sustainability as, you know, renewable focus future, but social sustainability. How are we impacting communities? How are we impacting underprivileged communities? Um, and, and those communities are, are going to be the first to be affected by climate change. Mm. Um, and, yeah. yeah, just great stuff, guys. Really impressed. Do you want to talk about the loop? You talk about COVID. No, this okay. is important. Okay. To that point, to that point, um, we, we're very passionate about this, which is why I'm going to interject and just say this. No, go for it. At, at Inam, you know, we've, we've created something that we like to call the Inam Impact Loop. So I can get into what we do as a business in a moment, but this is why we do what we do as a business. It's great that our customers get to invest in some of the world's leading businesses in the impact space. They you know, earn a great return. They're also creating a very positive impact that they can track through the app dollar for dollar. But the buck doesn't stop there for us. What we're doing is within the next five years, we're going to reinvest up to 50% of our own profits back into the impact ecosystem to support people of color, women of color, young people from disadvantaged backgrounds with the skill set, education, employment, and empowerment that they need to build a better future, not only for themselves, but also those around them. Now, this isn't charity or philanthropy. These are reinvestments for commercial gain. So treat that as Inam's own impact-focused VC fund within Inam as to how we're closing that loop. So the customers make impact, great. But we as a business are taking that further by reinvesting our own capital for commercial gain into these businesses, supporting them and helping them grow. Because based on statistics, if you look at VC funding in Australia last year... It hit an all-time record of $10 billion but only less than 0.03% went to women of color founders. Yeah. So it just goes to show that, you know, we are so underserved and it's time to like build this into a business instead of, you know, talking about it and saying, oh, yeah. we, we have CSR, oh, we have donations, oh, we support communities, but there's no sustainable way of doing that. And that's really what we're trying to build um, as a result of our business. So. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I I think that is such a great vision to be working towards. And Ali, um, as a as as a woman of color, I think you can you can relate to this, and you you understand the struggles that we face. And um, I I've talked to you, Vis, about some of the issues I faced as a woman of color 
in the legal field. And to give everyone some context, I think as a woman of colour in the legal industry, you're not just competing with people of skill, but people who have nepotism on their side. And and that's just one of the barriers that you face. It's incredibly frustrating to work 10 times harder to get from point A to point B, whereas someone who isn't affected by all these barriers gets to hop, skip and walk across. Like, come on. Um, It just gets you thinking that we've got to do better. We need infrastructure for women of colour, other people in disadvantaged communities to excel um, in life. And one of the ways is through VCs and I suppose it's one of the ways that we can get to a point where we're close enough to to break that glass ceiling. Yeah, I mean, do you yeah. want to list the checklist? <laughs> this is your favorite thing to do every time. So Al is one of Anam's greatest assets, and I don't mean this in a degrading way, but if you were to create this checklist that people look for, right, Gender diverse, neurodiverse, <laughs> culturally and linguistically diverse, woman of color. We check all the boxes. And here we are having to work not even 10, 20 to 30 times harder during our fundraise to convince the investment community that this is a business worth supporting and backing. Al and my credentials are pretty up there. I'm not trying to boast or be, you know, egotistical. We've been there. We've done that. We've we've got experience. I've helped close over half a billion dollars in transactions. I've raised $30 million in Australia for other businesses. I understand the investment economy. I'm an ex-investment banker and a management consultant. Al has run marketing campaigns for some of the world's biggest brands and won the world's biggest recognitions for those campaigns. Yet we're still questioned on our ability to be able to execute on this idea whenever we have investing conversations. Um, Yeah. And someone like even ask us, both of you are migrants of color. What do you know about the Australian market? Isn't that a joke? Yes. That's ridiculous. I mean, it's tough to have to, to, to like, work that much harder and we've we've we are in a very big startup ecosystem and we've noticed and seen a bunch of other businesses this is not to take away from the efforts of others but many others have far earlier than us in terms of you know having a prototype or having um you know product solution fit customer validation etc even before that been able to raise heaps of capital off essentially a website or a mock-up and for us, it's like, you know, we, we're still going to keep doing this, regardless of whether we get the capital or not. This product is coming to market. But it just goes to show that impact is not just focused on climate, but impact is focused on the people behind which that climate is being saved for. It's not, A, there's no point in having impact that is tokenistic. We won't have a planet to, you know, live on. And B, forget the planet. The planet is for the people. And if you're not going to take care of the people on it um, by building sustainability and impact throughout your business models, then, you know, there's no point in having that aspect of it either. So. But it just gets so tiring, like trying to push through all the time. It's just, it's ridiculously mentally exhausting. And I just, I can't think of a better co-founder than to do this with. I love that. That's so nice to hear. Just just on that note, um, this, uh, I don't know if I've talked to you about this specifically, but um, mental health, like we're on this uh, we're talking about how it, it's so hard as migrants, as, as people of colour, to just get by in industries and to markets. But how about mental health? What are one of the ways that you look at mental health? Yes. I mean, Me. yeah. <laughs> good question. Uh, very good question. But I think the way we kind of stay sane is through Inam, regardless of how hard it gets, we stay sane because we're working on things that are bigger than ourselves um yeah and yeah like- I, I totally agree like we've both got our own personal lives um which we all have personal lives and um to you <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there are times when excuse the french things go to shit um and you've got to like 
have this something, a piece that centers you, that helps yeah. you look past everything that's going wrong towards something that might go right. Um, it's in the startup ecosystem, there's this whole culture of, you know, work 180 hours a week, don't the hustle and grind, don't eat, <laughs> don't like have a life. It's total BS uh, <laughs> because you're a human being. And as a human being, you need to have other facets of your life in play and acknowledge that a things are not always going to be okay, but you're working towards making them okay. Um, and having that acceptance is key because I've been told a couple of times that I have, what is the word? Um, what pathological pathological optimist um that, oh. that, uh, <laughs> I, that i'm a pathological optimist and i should also be a pathological pessimist which is amazing feedback and i agree sometimes i can be you know everything's airy fairy and i and i go to toxic positivity toxic positivity that's the word and i've gone to my one of my leaders simon sinek and he, <sighs> he's fr he's framed it phenomenally well there's a difference between positivity and optimism and i want to be an optimist and i try to be an optimist positivity yeah. is the room's on fire and you're like oh my god everything's okay i'm going to be fine you know that meme where the cat's sitting in the middle of the room and's like everything's fine it's a dog, <laughs> it's a dog. everything's not fine <laughs> that's positivity yeah optimism is okay the room is on fire it's probably going to burn down but there's not enough fuel to sustain this fire for more than an hour, which means in an hour's time, this fire will die down. It's yeah. accepting that, yes, everything's horrible right now, but it's yeah. not going to be that way forever. Mm. Watch him quote The Rock. And now I'm going to quote The Rock of all people. <laughs> so I was watching an interview of The Rock <laughs> and um, he was talking to, to the NBA players and he was like, and when life has you up against a wall, yeah. the only way out is forward. Right. And for us, that only way out is enough because we take one step every yeah. single day to get away from that wall. And that's how we kind of keep our mental health in check. The most important part is we have each other, mm -hmm. which yeah. means we can check in and say, okay, okay, you know what? This is not happening today. Just take a break and go do it tomorrow. Um, yeah. And it's very critical to have mental health. Like I think one of our really great people within our network, they founded Voice of Health. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. They've kind of been very targeted at mental health. And it, the reason why they do that is very similar to what we're doing in the impact space. They're tired of people talking about mental health. Like, we get it. It's a problem. It's now mm. time to actually do something about yeah. it. Yeah. And that's what they do through their business as well, which we respect so much. And we've grown to understand how important that is for us as founders to maintain mental health as well. Because without it, you will go insane. Literally. Yeah. You will go insane. I mean, yeah. having a good support system also helps. Yes. But yes. Enough, right. like, do not take mental health for granted like mm -hmm. it's it's a no. serious thing so yeah i think that's such an important point and i think when you guys said you had the same brain yeah. and then when you brought up the rock arj and ali was like the rock i was like yup that's definitely true <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i think i think that's like so important and um like even for me of course like um i guess the work in green influence wouldn't be as intense or like we don't have vc meetings like in nam but it's still that whole concept of like yes things things can get busy but like i know we're sort of looking for something for the greater good and it's something we're building towards so um even though it can get busy at times i think um yeah i i think it's all part of the greater good and i i still do think to keep my mental health in check like talking to friends exercising which i really like to run so that's been like a huge game changer for me um and Arj, you made a good point about how you're like an optimist. And I feel like that sort of, that sort of concept is resonated within Inam and what you guys do. And I think the idea of creating a tailor-made or personalized investment for an individual is a game changer, right? Because you have all these ETF, these portfolios where it's like you can invest in X, invest in Y, but like 
I might not like something in X or I might not like something in Y. And I think at the core of Inam, financial literacy is what you guys want to focus on. So why do you think that's a core skill for young people? And how do we integrate this with impact as well? Wait, Firstly, sorry. Let me just cut off. Yeah, okay. Cut you off. I think we're going to say the same thing. I know. Yeah. I think financial literacy and impact at this point has to be integrated. That's all I'm going to say. You can okay. continue on that. Similar to what I was going to say. But what I was also going to say is, can I use what you just said and in my next investor meeting as a customer <laughs> validation of why this is important and that you do not like certain things in an ETF, which means you need a custom portfolio? Because sometimes we have conversations and they're like, you know, you should stick to the, you know, the fund model. And we're like... But no. our customers don't want it. <laughs> so, yes, thank you very much. I love the customer validation. Oh, okay. We're doing the right thing. I know, I know we are. Anyway. That's why uh, we're here. Anyway, yes, can you talk yes. about how many people we've talked to and the statistics? Yes, that's what I'm going to do. Okay. Oh, okay, so, okay. so, in terms of why investment literacy and financial... So, uh, you said financial literacy, which is correct. That is a portion yeah. of it. But what we're focusing yeah. on is investment literacy and um, impact and why they go hand in hand. So... We went and spoke to over 300 young people, right? Young people aged 18 to 30 years old who are socially aware, earning income, and give uh, that about the planet. Um, <laughs> so here's what we found. 82% of them, 83, 83% said that they wanted to learn more about how or where to invest their money. Now, through those conversations, our unique insight was that the impact that their investment made mattered to them. For that reason, as Al said, impact investing and investment literacy cannot be independent. They have to go together. They work hand in hand. Because yeah. You cannot make an impact in your investment if you do not know what you're doing with your investment. And that's where Inam comes in. So we, the problem we're trying to solve is pretty simple. Young people want to invest in impact, but they just don't know how or where. It's simple to say, but yes, it's, it's simple to say, but it's very complicated. And our solution, our app, is exactly that. It's an app that shows you how to invest your money, tells you exactly where it's being invested, and exactly what impact it's going to have. Now, the way we do this is we embed that investment literacy piece throughout the process, which means you're learning as you're doing. And that's the best way the brain's cognitive ability, you know, adapts and learns new things. Whereas if you look at existing solutions and the way even the schooling system works, you learn independently and you execute independently. How do I know you were just going to do yes. that hand gesture? Sorry. That's why, that's why everything goes to crap. Crap's not a swear crap, word. No. There we go. That's why everything goes to crap because... You're not learning as you're doing. You're, want, you're learning something else and you're executing somewhere else in some other form. So that's the first step. You embed investment literacy throughout the process and it's not forced. It's not something that's a barrier to do something. It's driven by the user. Yeah. And then the second piece of that is, okay, what do the people actually want? So we use this literacy journey to develop a unique investor profile for each investor. And then we use this investor profile to curate a custom portfolio of listed impact stocks from every single stock market on the planet. So this is not just the US or Australia. This is the US, Canada, UK, Hong Kong, at some point, India, South Africa. We're starting off with the major markets and then expanding yep. the rest. Yeah. And what that allows us to do is give the power of choice in the hands of the consumer, in the hands yep. of the person actually wanting to build this portfolio. So that yep. if you like something, great. If you don't like something, chuck it out. Yeah. That's really what we've found. And once we've tested this, and while we test this prototype with our customers, that's exactly what people have been waiting for. Because yep. As you rightly said, with an ETF, A, these, these are funds that have over 100 stocks in them. Um, and they follow the basic 80-20 rule, which means 20% of the holdings, which are the majority, will contribute to the fund's potential gains and returns and the upside. But the bottom 80% will contribute to whenever there's a recession or a market downturn or a bear market and will stuff up the whole portfolio. Yeah. And there are going to be companies in there that A, you don't know about, and B, you might not even know are part of that portfolio because disclosure is so poor in the industry at the moment. So... Our portfolios are governed by Ray Dalio's theory of diversification, which means there are never going to be more than 10 to 15 stocks in a single portfolio. You've diversified your risk, you've diversified your asset, so you know exactly where your money is going and how it's being invested. 
Um, I digress yeah. and I talk too much, but that's the crux <laughs> of what we're trying to do. Because if you look at, for example, some of our close competitors and their ESG portfolios, I will not take their names, you will find companies like Vega Cheese, JB Hi-Fi, QBE Insurance, and BHP Billiton. They're really impactful businesses. Um, they meet the ESG screen. They're not doing anything atrocious to the planet, but they don't exist to make the planet a better place. And quite frankly speaking, I do not give two hoots. I don't want a mining company in an impact portfolio because yeah. how is mining impactful? Uh, yeah. You can greenwash it as much as you want, but you're going into the planet, digging stuff out and not replenishing it. That's not impactful. Um, and the way you do it, the way you process it, the intent supply chain is just another story altogether. So, yeah. yeah, that's why the investment literacy piece, which is built into the process, also helps you learn about the stocks and assess those yeah. opportunities for yourself to so you know you're making the right decisions. Um, yeah. I think the and way we present that investment literacy as well is, is quite different than what other people are doing at the moment. Because I don't know anything about investing before I started at Inam. And I'm trying to present these like really valuable information in like chunks and digestible information, easy on the eyes um, type thing. And it's just, I, I think it's smart and quite, I don't know, what's the word? Um, uh, the Apple. Um, what Apple? The, uh, Intuitive. Intuitive. That's it. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. That word. That's it. Yeah. Cool. And I just wanted to sort of, I guess, follow up on that because Arj, you mentioned about like the investment process and how you would like, I, I guess, take out certain, um, I guess, take out certain industries, but I wanted to get a bit more understanding of like, what's the process of like, hey, I've got this company now, how will that fit into Inam's universe? Like, how do you select that? I'm so glad you asked that. So it's, a, it's actually a pretty simple process. So we have a three-pronged approach. Obviously, people are coming to invest because you want to grow your money. So we've got yeah. to conduct financial analysis. So the first step is a financial matrix, which defines parameters like the market cap of the business, your price to earnings ratio, your EBITDA, and a bunch of other high-level indicators, which yeah. help us sift out which businesses we will actually look at um, to, to assess and evaluate. We'll also then conduct full-on cash flow analysis, look at the sustainability, the financial viability, and the long-term profitability of that business. We then go on and put on top of that an impact screen. So this impact screen is basically governed by the impact management projects framework. And how what it does is it splits businesses out into four. So businesses that harm the planet, avoid harm, benefit the planet, and contribute to solutions. So when we juxtapose that matrix on top of our financial matrix, we're looking specifically for businesses that benefit the planet and contribute to solutions. So immediately, anything that harms the planet or tries to avoid harm is chucked out from yeah. the universe of portfolios. Um, the last stage of that analysis then, which we're currently developing and finding the best way to execute on, is a leadership screen. So what we're doing there is analyzing the leadership within these businesses to assess and ensure that psychosocially, to, to the extent that we're able to, the people and the leaders within these companies don't turn out to be Harvey Weinsteins and they're actually going to end up building a long-term business. So this looks at tenure, this looks like experience, this looks yep. at ability to actually focus on impact. So we're going to look at things, we're going to go delve down into details through data mining, through like you know, their LinkedIn posts, the things they like, the things they don't like, the things they talk about, the things they support to see, okay, these leaders will actually take this business to the next level and make it impactful. So those are the three-pronged approach. So there's the financials, the impact, and the leadership um, to really define the universe of stocks that are in the Anam, you know, investment universe, which then go on to define each unique individual mm -hmm. portfolio for our customers. So. That's amazing. I think that leadership, that leadership sort of, of panel or lens is so interesting. I've never really heard that before. And I think that's so important because when you want to focus on impact, you want leaders who are aligned with the company's, I guess, long-term strategy and you want their pay aligned to that as well. So I think that's really good. And like, I think that would be quite cutting edge. So wish you guys all the best in that. Um, and, and I do think on that note, based on what we've talked about, 
working in the impact space is an honor. Like the way I see it is that I'm in a very privileged position in society to be able to work in this space. And it's something that not everyone has. And I think a lot of young people are very much in are very much into social impact and aligned with their values. So why do you guys both think this is the case compared to previous generations? We're going to say the same thing. Might okay. as well say it. So as you rightly pointed out, the world has changed. Um, I'm not going to say we're Netflix and we're a woke generation because that's another load of BS. People genuinely care about where the world is headed. And those people are the next generation because they realize and are conscious that the choices and the decisions they make now impact the future. Because it's no longer a short-term thing of, oh, I'll just put gas in my car and it'll be fine. Now it's, hey, every liter of gas I'm putting in this car has either come out from a shale resource somewhere in the US or beneath the ocean somewhere in Russia or from Saudi. And what that means is I'm making more carbon which means temperatures will go up, El Nino, resource, crops, agriculture, etc. And I'm not going to have a place to live very soon because it might not be habitable, it might not be uh, you know, financially viable, etc., etc. And that's also what we're capitalizing on with Inam because people are looking at that long-term view, which means when it comes to their investments, Many people are shifting away from this whole, I want a quick gain in 30 days, money doubled in 30 days, 7,000% increase with meme, Dogecoin, whatever. People are looking at saying, hey, if I'm going to invest, I also need to invest looking at the long term in the, like going forward. And that's the sentiment of people because people are tired of hearing tokenistic crap. They want action. They want to be able to track their impact. They want to be able to see that organizations and companies execute and deliver on what they say they're going to execute and deliver on, which is where our dashboard comes into play as well because mm. you can track you know, renewable gigawatts of energy generated, carbon emissions prevented, trees planted, animals saved right on your dashboard. So your yeah. impact is no longer tokenistic. It's actually something tangible that you can see. So. And I think what's great about this generation is that their values and what they believe in match their actions, whereas with previous generation, it's like, okay, I care about climate change, but don't really do anything about it. Hmm. Like a friend of mine, she literally shouts at me every time because of the way I manage my trash. And she's like, you need to like properly allocate your recycling. And, yeah. and I, I mean, I do. I just don't do it as efficiently as I could. The fact that she's, you know, harassing me on that to do it right just goes to yeah. show that it's not just, oh, yeah, I have a separate recycling trash can but and I have a normal trash Like, it's actually you need to do it properly so that mm. you can actually do something with it. So, yeah. I have a compost bin in my house and I'm so proud of it. Awesome. Fruit That's so good. all mm. over the house, but I have a compost bin. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, yeah. And I think now we want to sort of, I guess, slowly change, I guess, the path now. So looking at looking at the whole idea of startup support, and that's something that, um, you know, you guys have brought up before, the challenges faced in the VC industry and, and things like that. But I think you guys um, were actually able to, I guess, pitch to a few VCs. And I think that Canva effect and the rise of VCs like Blackmerd, Startmate, and Antler has opened up opportunities for young businesses that weren't really available, say, 10 or 15 years ago. So what was that experience like sort of pitching in front of a VC? Because I know a lot of people in Greenfluence are very into the startup space. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's still not that available to us. <laughs> yeah, I think... Um, we just pitch. Yeah. It stops there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, but getting there is hard too. Getting yeah, there is yeah, hard. Okay, okay, so, okay. 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 I'll give, I'll give you a quick rundown. Australia's startup ecosystem and VC landscape is very powerful, but it is where Silicon Valley was in the 1990s, which means it is still in its infancy. Although it's doing phenomenally well, it's still in its infancy. 
And the main reason for that is, as you said two seconds ago, the businesses you can count on are Canva, Safety Culture, Atlassian, etc. There's a handful that you can speak of at the tip of your tongue that you know of. Whereas you go to Silicon Valley, I think the list will extend the length of this podcast. So <laughs> it's really a matter of timing as to the maturity and where that the ecosystem actually is. And what that means is there's also a few gaps within that community and the ecosystem. And what I mean by that is when, when you look at VCs, there's a bunch of VCs that are really phenomenal that invest early stage. And that's great. But the definition of early stage is subjective to every investor. Now, in, in the way the ecosystem works is there's pre-seed. Um, if you're before pre-seed, you're not, in my opinion, I don't think you've got product solution fit or enough validation to say you're a pre-seed startup. You've got pre-seed, you've got seed, you've got series A, and then you've got the whole alphabet after that. Yeah. Early stage VCs. <laughs> are playing in the seed stage to series A stage, which means that's when you've either got a product in the market or you've got some product validation, early testers, early customers, and you've actually obtained product market fit. What that does is it irons out a whole sleuth of pre-seed pre pre startups and early stage startups, such as us in the fintech industry where we have a chicken and egg situation. Because we're in financial services, we can't actually take money from anyone until we have a financial services license. Yeah. We can't obtain the license until we paid for it. And these licenses aren't exactly cheap, which means mm -hmm. we can't pay for them until we've raised funding. Mm. So unlike a SaaS product or a physical product or a physical service, which can be tested or validated without having a license, something like FinTech is very niche, which means you need to have investors that understand that journey of launching a FinTech. Now, getting in front of VCs is, is a journey in itself. You've got to actually, you've really got to be good at comms and engagement, which means you need to get them in on your email list early. You need to send out investor updates. You need to engage with them on LinkedIn, in networking events, um, put yourself out there. That's the first step, putting yourself out there no matter what happens. And the next step is you don't want to go to a VC and say, I want your money. You're dealing with people. You need to build a relationship. You're not going yeah. to get money on the first day you meet a VC. Never ever is a VC going to see a pitch and say, here's a check. That's not how yeah. it works. And yeah. in this economy of you know quick gratification that we've built through yeah. Netflix and chill and a bunch of other things, we forget <laughs> that you're dealing with humans on the other side of this. So that yes. brings the kind of old school element back. And I got my first lesson in that very recently. <laughs> when we had a meeting with the VC and I, you know, got up, I was like, I'm going to pitch. And very slowly I was brought back down to planet earth and say, you know what, this is a meeting with a human being. You're not on a zoom pitching to someone. You're having a conversation with someone. You're there to build a relationship with someone to sell yourself as an individual that someone would want to work with in the future. So it's very important to understand these soft nuances when you're dealing with VCs. And there's very little, again, you need to have the right people around you who've been there and done that to be able to advise you on that. But again, that creates a barrier, which just show, goes to show how much of an infant stage the ecosystem as a whole is at at the moment. Because you need access to accelerators like Startmate, like um, Catalyzer, like Antler, et cetera. But before you get access, you need to know they exist. And I think yeah. that awareness piece is missing before which you can actually create that community that will assist you. But now to answer your question directly, getting in front of a VC, very intimidating, difficult conversations, um, but conversations that teach you a lot about yourself and your business and the things you need to improve on. The first thing you want to get when you go to a VC is feedback. You don't want to get them on. You want to understand how they are how how they are per perceiving your business, so that you can find the holes in it, fix them up, and bring them a better business or build better traction and bring it back to them in some time. Right. Yeah. On this awesome. note of um, of VCs, I think we've we've just touched on this topic of funding for people of color, and I kind of wanted to get your guys's um, 
opinion on why do you think there has been a disproportionate amount of funding and how are barriers being removed for people in this space? Well, I talked about the statistics earlier, right? Less than 0.03% of women of color founders get the funding of all-time record VC funding last year. It's ridiculous. Um, it's, I don't even know how, where to start. I think the most important thing is to just continuously show up. I know it's tiring and mentally exhausting, but I just, I think they need to know that we exist and we're capable. And if that means working 10, 20 times as hard, harder than what the average people look like, then that's what it takes. But it really is just a numbers game at this okay. point. We just need to like continuously yeah. show up. It's I, I I don't have any other I'm, words. I'm gonna try try tackle the question diplomatically in two parts. <laughs> First bit is, as Ali said, it is a numbers game in general, even if we're not people of color founders. This is something that I was told by a mentor of mine where you know you've got to go to almost a hundred people. 20 of which might have a conversation with you from which 12 might actually invest in you. So you've A, got to be prepared for rejection nonetheless. And when you're a person of color founder, I would say you have to go to 200 and maybe 10 will come and invest with you. The reason as to why that is or why that has happened, I think is systemic in nature. Yeah. It is cultural in nature because that has just been unfortunately how mm -hmm. the world economy has grown to function and to change that the only thing we can and it's not that the the founders who they are not 0.03 percent founders that identify as women of color there are far more it's just that's yeah. how many got funding so mm -hmm. it's not that we're not able to get funding we can get funding from private sources or from other investors or other ecosystems, but that doesn't come with the support network, the power, the influence, and the skill set and experience that a VC comes with, which yeah. basically kickstarts that cycle again. Because as a founder, you'll get money, you'll build a business without guidance, without mentorship, without networks, without introductions that you need from someone like a VC, which means your business might not scale, might not succeed, might not become the most successful version of itself that it can. So as diverse founders, our responsibility is A, to pierce through that shield of, you know, whatever the shield is. Right. Because we're building this. This is not for us. Al and I are not building an arm for ourselves. An yeah. arm is being is so much bigger than us because it's to pave a path for everyone else that will come after us. Mm. Even the team that we're expanding with today, some of them have expressed to us that they have their own idea for a startup. I'm like, that's great. Go do it. We want to give you the skills and the mm. money even if we can to go do it. But we cannot do that until a few of us penetrate this shield or that circle to come out on top. We will put in, we'll work 50 times harder if we have to. Mm. But this is not for us. It's for everyone else that needs to come after us. So the very few of us that are in the ecosystem that want to get this VC funding, we're going to get it. We have to get it. Yeah. We have to get it for everyone else, not just for ourselves or for an arm, so that we set a precedent that it's not one-off. It's not just for a few, it's for everyone. Mm. And I think VCs are catching on to the notion of that as well. Are they though? Slowly. Are they? Slowly. It's just, it's Slowly. so upsetting because yeah. the only reason is that we just look different, we talk different, mm. and we think differently and we view the world quite differently. The struggles are different and that way they can't relate to our experiences, which is why we're already being set up for failure from the get-go. And this, like, talking about this just makes me so upset, but we are on yeah. a mission to change yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And... I think that's like really important because when you think about it, the people at the top, the people who are signing these deals, they probably come from like a certain gender or, or, or like a certain race. And they probably don't have that full perspective that someone from like a different race or a background would understand. And I think 
like I think what you guys are doing would, is obviously of great service to the whole VC industry because, as you said, it, it 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 creates the path, and it's like you just need someone to, I guess, I guess punch, a, I guess, I guess put a few holes in, and then suddenly you'll see like a lot of things coming through, um, and and that's so exciting for me, and I'm I'm sure for Shri as well because we both don't come from like um, I guess an Anglo background, so like just opens up opportunities, which you know is super exciting. Yeah, um, I think it's yeah. not that people that understand this don't exist. It's just yeah. that there's so few of them, which means yeah. they're also not able to exercise their power and influence as much as, you know, a whole group can. So it's yeah. not to say that it's not a blanket statement. There yeah. are diverse founders being supported in the industry. There are, yeah. there are others being, you know, helped. Yeah. It's just not being done at the scale that we believe it should be done at. And mm. I think... People are like there are people from disadvantaged backgrounds or underprivileged backgrounds who are now in those positions of power that can relate, but then you've got the whole issue of mandates and you know what we need to look like we're doing for the world, and there isn't this carte blanche approach of I don't care about what the world thinks of me, I'm going to do what is right. Yeah, I think though, I mean, this is not a dig to you no, no, at no, all. No, no, no. Like, let me just say that that's a caveat. But the way we look at this VC struggles is quite different because you are a man. Correct, correct. I, I can. See that's that. why you're like. I, I, I think yeah, you need okay. to advocate yeah. for it a bit yeah. more. Okay, I I'm see like, that. I see that. the way you're yeah. saying it right now. I'm like a bit. <laughs> Puts me on Wait, fire a little on. bit. Okay, see, but this is like, good. This just is being good. a woman sitting in the room full of men, even though it's Arjun, it's like it's still quite. I don't know. Yeah. It's just it's a power imbalance there. Yes, like, it's, that's it's it. evident and Correct. it's clear and it's allowed. It's yeah. screaming in the room when you step yeah. in. You feel automatically uncomfortable. Yeah, with this power imbalance and this. Um, this even urge to even try to speak up or try to voice your opinion. Will there be people backing you? Exactly. I have a bias there. You're right. You're it's right. like you have this difference of like being a people, a person of color in the room full of, you know, yes. Anglo yes. people. But then yes. there's another intersectionality where you don't see, yes. which is. Being a woman, a woman or non-binary yeah, or okay. like queer, looking like this. Like, I don't have hair, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't look like what I'm supposed to look yeah. like. And I don't want to. And that's just another layer of mm. just, mm. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, mm. sorry, guys. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah, this is something that we've debated for a long time and talked. To, we talk about this every day because we're in our pre-seed fundraise. So mm. it's a conversation that we have every day and, you know, it's just, but wait, we hope I, we get there. We hope we get there. I do want to give credit to the Creative Cooperative. They're yeah. a creative agency in the startup world um, advocating for BIWOC founders. So just let the statistics that I gave before came out from their research. So I just really wow. want to yeah. thank them for being like open, not open, what <laughs> for being like, um, you know, this, this light in the middle of the darkness of the startup yes. world. Yeah. yeah, amazing. I think like Ali, you brought up a good point because obviously for me, I wouldn't have that female perspective either. And um, yeah, I, I think it's really important. And, and hearing what you and Shri have said, like really sheds more light on, on the struggles that you both may face. So yeah, that was a very important point to bring up. So thank you for that. Thanks, Shri. Um, Thanks for understanding. This, this is why <laughs> additional people at the table. Yeah, the, the next final question was like, look, we've we've talked about quite a few ranging things, the VC, Inam, financial literacy, but just like as a big picture, what are your thoughts on the future of the impact space? And of course, what is next for Inam? The million dollar question. You love that. You, you? I don't okay. need the future of the impact industry is looking on the up. To me, um, you've got people like the Climate Salad Coalition organization, I don't know what they call themselves, um, that's getting people together who are focused on climate. That's great. But I, f I feel there is a gap on the rest of the spectrum. 
in terms of agriculture, in terms of well-being, in terms of um, sustainable consumption. So climate's great. Yes, we need to save the climate, but we need to save a bunch of other things as well. So I definitely think it's on the up because a lot of people are building niche and targeted solutions to tackle these things. But I definitely think, although there's huge adoption from, you know, big companies like, you know, Woolies, Coles, um, BHP Billiton tries to do stuff like mine lithium instead of coal. It needs to turn to being more impactful across the spectrum, which it currently is not. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think there is there is a lot to be done because it is such a ripe industry that hasn't fully explored the potential it has for change. Um, and then in terms of what's next for Anam, I think it's a nice segue that that I've said that now because our long-term vision is to become the impact engine of the future. And what that means is, yes, we're starting off with listed stocks, but we're then going to progress into fixed income securities, which means AAA debt funds, green bonds, et cetera. The next piece of the puzzle then is our B2B expansion, which allows us to ensure that employers are able to take care of the financial well-being of their employees by ensuring a portion of their investments or a portion of their salary goes towards you know, an in-arm impact portfolio. Um, there's no downside on this because employees are then able to liquidate that holding if they ever need the cash, unlike their super. Yeah. The last piece of the puzzle, which we're most excited about to build that impact engine out, is um, a private market for impact opportunities. Because retail clients have, for the longest period of time, just because they're not sophisticated investors, aka rich with more than $2.5 million in disposable assets, been able to invest in some of the world's best opportunities. Now that we have technology, we're looking at building a purposeful DAO, a blockchain-backed DAO, which will bring private market opportunities to retail clients to help them gain exposure to that asset class and really build this entire ecosystem around impact for the financial industry. Um, so that's basically what's next for Anam, but immediate steps. Yeah. Um, our app's going to be out um, on the App Store in 16 weeks once I've closed this fundraise which is close. Um, we're close. We're almost there. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the most important thing, getting the app out there, um, getting our customers, building our partnerships out with more young people like yourselves, like the Green Friends podcast, um, and just getting people on the bandwagon of you can make a difference with your money um, and learn about it as you go along. So those are kind of immediate next steps. But yeah, that's how I feel. How do you feel about the impact ecosystem now? Same. <laughs> I think um super exciting and we at Greenfluence are so keen to support your journey and help you guys in any way that we can. And um we'll definitely be putting this in the show notes. So hopefully we get a few traction and a few a few downloads of the app yes. in the next couple months. hundred percent. Thanks, guys. So excited. Well, good. Yeah. Um, now we're just heading to our speed round question. So it's going to be nice and quick. Are you guys ready? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Question one. So I know we've talked a bit about this, but what is the biggest mi misconception that people have about impact investing? That it has poor returns. Yep. Arj? Same. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, and then the second point. So again, we've talked about how young people are very passionate about the social impact space and they want to sort of channel their money to some causes. How can we better enable them to do so? Um, the education to debunk these myths and through Inam. And through Inam. And like building a custom portfolio of curated <laughs> listed stocks from every single stock market on the planet. Yes, that's how you can do it. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Final one. Where can listeners go to learn more about Inam? And do you guys have any book recommendations or people to follow in the space? Oh, yes. Um, www.inam.me that's where you can check us out and in terms of books our like guiding light has been daniel flynn of thank you group so uh, we would highly yeah. recommend anyone reads chapter one best uh book <laughs> sorry best book that you can ever read um yeah there we go I was literally just writing that down. So thank you. Uh, 
Thank you for recommending. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Um, cool. Well, that's a wrap. Um, I wanted to thank you guys so much, Ali and Ard, for being part of our podcast. I think this was a, a very passionate talk, but certainly one that had to happen. And I think Shri and I, we covered so many areas. We, we learned about the challenges facing the VC industry. We learned about your journeys and thank you for being so transparent with them and also about Inam and how you guys want to use Inam to be a force of good. Um, so just on, from my perspective, I wanted to thank you both for your time on the podcast. Um, Shri, um, is there anything you'd like to add as well? No, I just um, want to echo your thoughts, Vesa, that it's been such a great discussion discussing with you on so many numerous topics and um, just talking about my experience as a woman of colour and Alia, sharing that with you, I I really felt um, like you've heard me. So thank you for that and thank you, Arj. Arj. <laughs> <laughs> thank you Arj for sharing your journey as well very awesome. inspirational and really looking forward to working with you together yeah thank you for thank having you. us and we're definitely going to be looking at supporting green friends and becoming the best version of itself that it can be so. sounds great great thank you so much guys thank you cheers thank thanks, you What did you think about chat with Arjun Ali? I enjoyed hearing about both their unique career journeys so far and the impact Innam is helping to make. It just goes to show that sustainability can be so much more impactful than we think and there are so many more possibilities to contribute with impact. If you'd like to connect with Arjun Ali, you can find them on LinkedIn. If you want to check out Innam, hop on their website on www.innam.me. All links will be in the show notes. We'd also love to connect with you and hear your thoughts. So please join us on Facebook and LinkedIn to be a part of our Greenfluence community. Please subscribe to our podcast to keep up to date with the latest episodes. And we'd appreciate it if you would rate us and leave a comment. It means a lot. Thank you for joining us in this episode and I hope to catch you in the next season.